Hey. Hi. You coming on in? Hi. Welcome to the podcast. It's how to be queer time. Every day is how to be queer time. Welcome listeners. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they, them. And I, it's Kim. I'm back again. Pronouns are she, her. I like it when you're back. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. If you are interested, you can actually go and see us on, we are putting our podcast on YouTube so you can watch us do this, which again, it's, it's really highly produced. There is. I have to say, I've been working on a whole bunch of things lately. We got with all the announcements are coming. So stay tuned. That means you have to listen to the end, <laughs> but welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you to our sponsor youth scene. That is youth S E E N.org. If you've been enjoying our podcast, you need to go over there. You need to click that donate button. You need to send them some love. They do amazing work in our community and they support us doing this podcast, which has ended up being really fun. Hi. Hi. We're ready to just jump in. I think we're just we jumping could do a whole bunch week. of like marketing stuff. But we could just we should just jump in. I think we're jumping in this week. We have we have guests with us. We do. And and before I interrupt someone else with with this, I have to wish everyone out there a happy International Non-Binary People's Day. That's today, July 14th. Happy Non-Binary People's Day. You're my favorite non-binary person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> But we have some folks sitting at the table with us. We do. We'll let them introduce themselves. They're pretty special. Addison Heron Wheeler. I am co-publisher and editor-in-chief of OFM Outfront Magazine, and my pronouns are she, they. Maggie Phillips. I am the chief everything officer and co-publisher of Outfront Magazine, and my pronouns are she, they as well. Well, welcome Addison and Maggie and Outfront Magazine to our podcast. We're so excited y'all are here. And I'm going to jump in with my first question because I can all, I can like hear our listeners and, and mom, mom, I know my mom would have this question and she's an avid listener of this explain. And I feel that feels even weird. Like explain. I hate that word, but I would love to know more when you say she, they tell me like, what does that mean? If somebody wants to be supportive to you, like which pronoun should they use? Tell us uh, if you're, if that's okay, tell us more. Yes. So for me, I think I identify both as a woman and a non-binary person kind of fluidly throughout my life. Um, it makes sense to me because of the connection I have to feminists, as well as the connection I have to sort of being beyond the binary to quote our column written by Keegan Williams and, you know, just kind of fitting in with either male, female, or neither. Um, and I'm equally okay with either she or they, just preferably not he. I get misgendered a lot over email when people just assume someone in editorial is a man. So I would prefer she or they. Oh, we're going to jump right in with all this. Okay. Maggie, <laughs> tell us she, they, and I love that chief of everything. That's an amazing way to say it. I love it. I have to say, I stole that from TikTok and somebody with a small business uh, had that on their chief, chief everything officer. And I'm like, that is so true. I love it. Especially because we've been so short staffed since we took over. So yeah, I'm doing a lot of jobs. Well, we're both doing a lot of jobs. So, um, and so she, they, I actually recently came out as she, they, um, after a lot of, you know, thinking about it. And yes, Keegan's article actually had something to do with that too. Um, I have always talked about how I have felt more um, on the male side a lot of times in my life, even though there's also lots of female sides <laughs> of me too. 
Um, but like, I definitely feel like I'm part of a spectrum and, um, I love that term spectrum because yeah, it's so like just trying to cut it between just male and female, just girl and boy or whatever is just, it's never made sense to me. And yeah, spectrum is a really beautiful word. (laughs) I agree. Mm -hmm. And then like, um, when I read men are from Mars and women are from Venus, I definitely have more of a Mars side to me, (laughs) um, especially in relationships. So um, yeah, so I've always talked about that and always, you know, joked about how, what a guy I am. And even in my marriage, like I'm the guy in the relationship. So it's like, yeah, I definitely need to embrace the fact that there's so much a part of me that's non-binary. And I don't think I would be offended if I was called he, um, I've definitely been called sir before, <laughs> but, um, I, I feel more comfortable with she or they, and I really like they because that also um, embraces who I am. But I'm I'm okay with both. I'm comfortable with both. So well, thank you both for for sharing that. And you would you know so chief of everything of OMF and editor editor in chief of OMF Outfront Magazine. When I met you two, I met you two through, because of the magazine, which was the reason that we met. And the magazine is. I want, if you can tell everybody a little bit about what Outfront Magazine is and then how you two, because the history of the magazine is actually really fascinating and how you two came into this world. Do you mind sharing that story? Yes. So the magazine has been around since 1976. That's um, the year I was born. Ooh, the same age as the magazine. <laughs> I, I love am. that for you. I'm so <laughs> Um, So we are, not to now make you sound old, but the second longest running LGBTQ publication in America, Um, second only to Philadelphia Gay News, which is technically a newspaper and we're a magazine. So longest running magazine. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we um, have been in Colorado since then, originally founded by Phil Price in Boulder and then moved to Denver. And we've been here for 46 years. Yeah. So how, so did you, before you guys started your, cause you, you guys are the, the publishers and, and owners of OMF. Yes. Right. So tell OFM, OFM sorry. That's <laughs> Am I getting it confused with a band? There wasn't there like a band in the nineties that was so. like, oh, <laughs> something Probably. like that. And, like, and one main financial who I bank with sometimes. Is OFF, so sometimes people like say it that way. <laughs> So how did, so the magazine is the, well, I mean, we're going to say it's the longest running because it's not a newspaper. It's a magazine. Yes. So how is it that y'all become who you are with the magazine? How did that happen? Do you want to take that one? Yeah, I'll start. Um, So I moved from Kansas city to call back to Colorado. I'm a native in Colorado. Um, And so I was so happy to get back here into the mountains. And then the owner was Jerry Cunningham. And I was looking for a job and I had a background in both administration and graphic design. And that was exactly what he was looking for. And I should probably ask him what it was he saw in me, but he stalked me on LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff. And so he reached out to me via email and he asked me if I would be interested in working for um, a 40 year old LGBTQ magazine. And my first reaction was 40 year, wait, there's an LGBTQ magazine in my city. Like what, 
how did I miss that? <laughs> so, um, and then I was like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. I would like to. So um, I interviewed with him first and then I interviewed with the entire team because the entire team had to sign off on me. How big was the team? It was, um, there were seven people there. Uh, one was missing. So the team was eight at the time. Okay. And then, um, and then the one who wasn't there, Christopher Liffler, who you're yes, familiar, with, familiar with, um, his only question was what was my Zodiac sign? And we're both Leos, by the way, but he started there like two months before I did. Um, anyway, I had never wanted a job so bad in my life. And I was just like waiting by the phone, hoping, hoping, hoping I was posting on Facebook, like everybody cross your fingers for me. And sure enough, like I got the job and, um, it felt very personal Mm. in my journey because right before I moved to Colorado, I had given up my religion. I had gotten remarried. I had, um, decided that I was going to stop living for everybody else and being what everybody else wanted me to be. And I'm just going to cut that tie and be authentic, be myself, figure out who that is. And then like, if people didn't like that, then they were just going to have to deal with it. Okay. I got to ask how I know. I think we're both like, I have so many questions. Okay. How old were you when this happened? Um, well, it was eight and a half years ago. So I must've been 40. Well, yeah. 41 when I moved back. Yeah. So, Okay. So by the way, if you're doing the math, Jerry said 40 years, but he was always like a year or two ahead when he would say how old UFM was. He did like Kim math, right? Like it's vaguely around here. I can round up or round down. It's fine. So, so you, so when you joined though, you, what was your position when you joined? Um, I was an administrative assistant and graphic design assistant. So and I think they the chief called of it everything. Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so how did that tell, like, walk us through that a little bit. So I directed operations basically. So it kind of evolved from that to office manager to director of operations. Um, and then gosh, I think for at least the last three or four years, everybody was talking about how I'm the one that runs the show and the one that runs the magazine. Chief of everything. (laughs) And so, um, which was not true. Like our, our whole team did it. I just tried to keep all the wheels turning and all the gears grinding. It's literally what I used to say is I'm the gear grinder. And, um, and so when Jerry decided that he wanted to sell the magazine, Um, He had been looking for someone to take over for a while. And he finally looked at me and said, hey, would you be interested? And this is COVID, mind you. (laughs) I got to ask you this before. So when you thought of like your life, right? Did you ever think at some point, I want to be like a publishing person. I'm going to own a magazine. I'm going to this. So this really was like, you just opened yourself up to the universe. And now somebody's saying to you, do you, because you're the chief of everything here, do you want to own this magazine? Yeah. And your answer, was it immediately like, hell yeah, I do. Or was it like, oh shit, I don't know. No, it was a hell yes. I felt like I owned it from the moment I walked in the door. That was Mm. my baby. And it has always been my baby. Um, but I had a stipulation. I wanted a business partner. I wanted to bring in Addison as my business partner. And that was like, he was like, okay, well, I'm selling it to you, but if you want to, you know, 
give her stock too. That's fine. And so I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to organize it because I want my chief editor and most wonderful work wifey to help me with this endeavor because I'm really great at the operations and Addison is extremely skilled and ex uh, has experienced so much in editorial, the whole editorial side of things and was already doing a great job. So, so you had been working at the magazine too. Yes. Okay. Yes. I started as, um, associate. Well, no, I started as digital content manager, which was like a freelance part-time job to start basically just doing the website and social media. And then I moved up to associate editor and became an employee and then full-time. And then when the other editor moved on, I became editor. Um, and then I moved up to both editor in chief and co-publisher when I became a part owner. So when she came to you and was like, Hey, my stipulation is that you're going to be my partner in this. What did you think? I was very, very excited. I think excited and nervous and hopeful that it would happen, but yes, definitely on board right from the beginning. And how long has it been now that y'all have been the co-owners and partners in this? Since October, 2020. So, so a really easy time. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. been great. Just degrees. Not. <laughs> So tell, tell me like if, when you took it over, cause it is different, right? Yeah. I want to talk about that. It is different with you guys at the head of it. Give me the, what did you think? How has it changed for you? And what is for anybody that picks up that magazine? What do you want them? What's the mission? What do you want them to feel from it? I think the biggest thing I want people to feel is acceptance. I know for a long time, our motto was, where you belong. And I like to split hairs with that one and say, you know, maybe it's not the space where everyone belongs. It's not the space where these problematic people belong, but at the end of the day, yes, that's what I want. I want people to feel like they belong, whether they are an ally, newly out, you know, a person of color, a non-binary person, someone who wouldn't normally see themselves on the cover of a queer magazine. I want them to feel like, oh, there's something in here for me too. This isn't just for, you know, attractive cis gay men. This isn't just for white people. This isn't just for affluent queers. Like this is for everyone. This isn't for like just the same body type over and over yes, and over again. Exactly. And you can see that you can see the changes in the last couple of years, especially that we're trying really hard to make sure that we make everyone feel accepted. And the biggest compliment we get is when someone says, we see, I see myself in your pages. And that just really touches our hearts so much because we are trying and it's a big spectrum to cover. So it's hard to get everyone in there, but we really do try. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, Alex, you and I have talked about this so many times in this podcast of like, for me, healing, right. Is whenever I see myself reflected outside of my home or my own skin. And so, you know, I think you and I are probably similar in age. I you know grew up in the seventies and I've talked about this so much on this podcast. The only like queer person I ever saw was Ellen DeGeneres. And then she was, you know, torpedoed in life for years. It was like, everybody loved her at first. And then they were like, yeah, no. And in your story with how many times did you watch boys don't cry? Yeah. Yeah. I watched it so many times. And then um, I remember seeing like Katie Lang. Yeah. I liked Katie Lang. That's not going <laughs> to surprise anybody, but Yeah. <laughs> But um, yes, the I mean the messages I got specifically about about transness was 
was seen Brandon on the on the on the movie, which was very tragic and com- complicated. Well, and you, you, I remember you telling me that you would go over and over and over to watch the movie, almost like you were hoping for a different outcome. Yeah, it's like I was hoping for a different ending. I, 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 I'm like, I knew the ending and I knew the movie. Like, I was like, why do I keep going back to watch this three times? And then I, I, I bought a copy of the movie and I, um, but I think I've kind of always tried to, it doesn't, I mean, I tried to kind of live my life. I had a little bit of an obsession with pain, which is kind of weird, but maybe not. I don't know. But that I somehow this idea that if I look at, if, if I look at the pain, it can somehow cause some healing. It, it, no. And I, it, you and I talk about this all the time of like, you're always telling me like, Kim, you have to look at the dark to be able to see the light. And I'm like, why, why can't we just look at the light all the time? I don't want to look at the dark, but for, for you guys in trying to create that space, I think what draws me to what you do is I remember what it felt like to feel that absence of anything because the gaps and the way that people fill in the gaps can be really dangerous and demoralizing and dehumanizing. So where that's why the gaps and the lack of representation to me feels so dangerous at times. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like we're like, I feel less safe today than I did two years ago. than I did, you know, it, it, the representation that's needed to show thriving queer people in all existences of queerness, which you're right. It's a really big spectrum. That's quite a challenge, but I'm happy that you guys are there doing that. Thank you. It means a lot. It is a lot of work, but it's so worth it. Yes. Thank you. I had one Starbucks barista who one time was like, thank you for your service. When I told them what I do. And at first I was like, what? And then I was like, no, that's really nice. Yeah. That is really nice. Um, it, it, it is service though. It's service leadership. Yeah. Yes. And I, I definitely feel that lack of representation. Um, I was just telling Addison on the way here that, um, I didn't really know or understand what gay meant or was until my junior year of high school, <laughs> because I, I moved, I went, I stopped going to Evergreen. So up that by then I was living in the foothills And um, Evergreen was very conservative and very racial. And, um, and when I started going to an alternative school where they had kids from all over, um, I was finally exposed to different type, different walks of life, different um, viewpoints. And um, that's when I met um, a gay kid named Eric and learned all of the struggles that Eric was having. Mm. And it was, it was really difficult for me to witness that and feel that Mm -hmm. because I cared very much about him. It's also when I was exposed to Rocky Horror Picture Show, (laughs) which should have been my very first clue (laughs) that I was not straight, but you know, I know, you know, and so mine um, was the U S women's soccer team. I mean, <laughs> but we all have our, our end, right. <laughs> um, so that was actually, that should have been my first clue that I was pansexual, but they didn't have a name for that back then either. Mm-hmm. So I just called myself a freak, you know, to the few friends over the years that I could like open up to. Um, but yeah, seriously pretended to be straight for a long time. Just like you talk about on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah. When you don't have the language or the understanding of yourself or freedom to look at yourself, you, you, how to be, how to, how to try to fit in 
a heterosexual world when you were just like, I didn't have the language for what I was. And I want to come back to your language. Were you going to say something? Sorry, honey. Oh, just that. Yeah. When you did, when, um, I was thinking earlier about not, ha- <clears throat> not having like ignoring the language, but then it was almost like, but you're digging deeper and you don't even know the language. And then once you have the language then you can't, there's no going back. You can't ignore it anymore. When did you get the word pansexual? When I was at out front. So I'll backstory a little bit. Yeah. I, I share as much as Let's you're willing. Go. I want to hear it all. <laughs> so, um, I, I came out of, I used to be a Jehovah's witness before I was a Jehovah's witness. I went to the assembly of God church, which is just as anti-gay. And, but as a witness, I was always like, still kind of open-minded, like you're not supposed to live that way, but you're not supposed to judge anybody either. And so that, but I sure. Oh, that's a powerful statement right there. <laughs> Isn't it? Okay. okay. Sorry, sorry, keep going. And literally what started to pull me out of that religion was a friend asking me, well, what if your son comes out as gay? And I'm like, well, I would be on my son's side, of course, but that Yay, like mom. <laughs> hated me for a long time. Why am I worshiping a God that would not accept my gay son? Ate at me and ate at me for a long time. Um, but anyway, so I had come out of the religion. Um, and before I got together with my third husband, <laughs> um, that's a, that's a, lot that's a whole story. other thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was the safe place, safe place for all of the high school students to hang out and all all of their gay friends. Um, my oldest son had a best friend since um, grade school who is who was a lesbian, now uh, considers herself pansexual or has figured that out. Um, and so like all these queer kids are in my house all the time and I am feeling more at home than I ever have and not recognizing why, but just <laughs> loving that, you know, they come in and they're kind of, standoffish and they're kind of guarded. And then as soon as they see and feel that acceptance, they just open up and you get to know their real personalities. And it was Mm -hmm. just so beautiful and such a wonderful thing for me. And um, anyway, so when I walked in the doors of out front, um, I thought that I was a queer ally. Mm -hmm. And so I walk in there, you know, just being an ally to everybody. But the more that I read things, the more that I talked to other people, the more that I talked to my coworkers, especially we had some very intimate conversations, Mm -hmm. very TMI conversations. (laughs) Um, The more I came to understand the different types of orientation and identities. And um, our designer at the time is pansexual and she was she would talk about that and she would talk about herself and how she came to know that. And, and I related more and more and more to everything she was saying. And I, (laughs) so over time, I realized I am as queer as all of these people. (laughs) I can't believe I have not. And then, you know, therapy helped me work through all of the reasons why I didn't want to face that about myself. What does, when you, so, you know, everybody uses their language differently. So when you say pansexual, what does it mean to you? It means that I don't care what is 
in your underwear. I don't care what, how you identify. I could be attracted to anyone because I'm attracted to the person. So how is that, if somebody was to say, well, how is that different than bisexuality? How do you define it? Honestly, the way that the term bisexuality has evolved is almost as inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because um, now when I read it, then it was really just you didn't mind if someone was male or female. Mm-hmm. And I think that's evolved since then. Um, but I, I couldn't like just say, yeah, it's down to that because I've met trans people that I have been very attracted to. I'm sure I've met intersex people that I've been very attracted to. I don't care what's in your pants. <laughs> like It doesn't matter to me. And so and I, sorry, I, I have to repeat you guys. Cause I love when you say that, like, <laughs> why is everybody so concerned about what's in their pants? But I get, you know, that you have like mm-hmm. lesbians are only attracted to women mm-hmm. and I get that gay men are only attracted to men, but yeah. I mean, the whole pants thing for me, because I actually had to unpack a lot of that myself because, and I remember talking to, this is um, where Dr. J really helped me because I didn't want to be a lesbian because quite honestly, like how, what do you do when you're like, okay, I, I could see myself saying I'm pansexual. I don't really care what's in your pants. Nobody should care what's in your pants. I care what's between your ears, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't know how much it matters, but then what I had to do, and this is like, mom, this is when you pause, but I had <laughs> to think about what do I feel with certain body parts? Mm-hmm. And I have an aversion to certain body parts. And that would be, I am really, I have an aversion to penises and that's what Dr. J helped me unpack, right? Was that, you know, however you identify, you can identify however you want, but I have to honor where my own attraction lies. And it's okay to say, I love, be you, do you. But if I'm going to interact in a sexual way, there are different body parts that are going to feel good to me. And there's going to be ones that don't. Now, have I loved people with penises? Sure. Because what was going on between their ears, I was like, I don't care what's in your pants. Right. Because it's more for me, what's, what's in the head than it is in the pants. But do you, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that may have, I, I know there's other people out there that have aversion to penises. Anyway, thank you for telling the different, the differences and how that feels for you. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. So it's really the, the sexual part that makes a difference. That's the part that makes in a difference that. to me. Yeah. Like, again, like I don't really care what's in your pants. But if you want me to interact with what's in your pants, there are definitely body parts that feel really different to me. And I've talked about that on here, that there was, that was actually one of my under, like to understand myself, that was something I had to go through was that I could, I could love and be attracted to people with different body parts. But when it came to actually having sex, there was something that really didn't feel right. And that, um, that is whoever is going to be with me, they deserve the feeling of feeling right with their person too. And I'm sure that that came through in intimate situations with them. And I want more for those people that had penises that I was interacting with too. They deserve somebody that's like, I'm all about your penis, (laughs) not someone that's like, Oh, it's a penis. (laughs) So I want to just make that clear. (laughs) I know sometimes I overshare on here. Okay. Let's go back to you. (laughs) 
So, so pansexual, do you mind sharing a little bit about how you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm fine with either bisexual or pansexual because like Maggie said, which is why I smiled because I feel like there's some things that I've been saying over and over in the office and like back in the old days, people would be like bisexual people or blah, blah, blah. And like, it's not the same, but like now I'm like, oh my gosh, you heard me. Um, Cause yeah, I think, you know, over overarching bisexual and pansexual are pretty similar. Um, I used to say that I used the language of bisexual because I was attracted to more quote air quotes, masculine men and feminine women, as in I'm very into people who kind of present along those binaries since I myself am a little more in between. And that's still that's fascinating, somewhat true. Yes. But the more I learned about gender and unpacked things, I realized I, I might, I'm more maybe attracted to like full figured or curvy folks who were assigned female at birth and maybe more muscular folks who were assigned male at birth and who sort of present that way. But there's so many people who fit those descriptions who are non-binary. And so it didn't feel genuine anymore to say that I wasn't attracted to non-binary people. And I think that me saying that for a while um, was probably a self-acceptance thing mm -hmm. of not feeling like I was attractive. So I think through unpacking all of that, the easiest way is to say, I'm fine. I like queer the best, I think, but I'm fine mm -hmm. with pansexual. I'm fine with bisexual. Queer, I think just fits me the most um, because it can kind of, it can also encompass being non-binary. It can also encompass being kinky. It can kind of encompass the whole spectrum of non-traditional sexual like identity too, because yeah. as you evolve like things change and mm -hmm. you learn more about yourself or you try something new or something else surprises you so I think the way our identi identities evolve a lot queer is just like a really great umbrella term that we're all we're all queer yeah yeah I was just gonna say I I, I think queer I've even been unpacking um the word gay for myself because gay is it's still me but but queer is probably the best because we were laughing last week about i'm more of a, like a straight man yes you are yes <laughs> so um <clears throat> there's that but here's my question for the word queer for you guys how do you feel if somebody outside of the community refers to you as queer does that feel good or are you like mm, no you got to be in community to use that word no i feel good about it you do I mean, for me, I definitely think it would depend on the context. I know there are still some folks out there who generally are older who have had it used against them as a slur and even younger, like even some of the people in our office. And so I obviously think if I did unfortunately hear someone using it that way, yeah, not cool, should not be used as an insult. Um, but what I like is that I feel like people who are allies, like my husband who started out just being an ally and now is like, I'm queer, it made him more comfortable because he is mostly straight on the spectrum when it comes to attraction to women, but he, you know, is inclusive that trans women are women. He mm -hmm. has acknowledged in himself that everyone's a little bit gay. He is in a relationship with two women instead of just, oh, I slept with two women once. That makes you queer. You're in a queer relationship. So I think I've seen people who think they're allies kind of taking it on and then it kind of allows them to be to be fully using that label. So I'm here for everyone to use it as long as it's not used as an insult. Yeah, I I have a I don't love when people outside the community refer to me as queer. 
I still have. And I think it's just my own trauma and like just things that were said about me and, mm-hmm. and the way, and sometimes, and this is the thing about being, cause I'm very straight passing. A lot of people don't recognize that I'm queer, which also pisses me off. And I say to Alex, I'm like, whenever we're someplace together, I'm like, yes, people are going to know I'm queer because I'm with you and I'm holding your hand and we're like kissing or sitting close. Because a lot of the times when I walk through the world, people don't like clock me as queer. And the bad side of that is people say some really fucked up shit to me. Mm-hmm. And that's where that word for me, I think I don't like when people outside of the community call it because I have like such negative shit that I hear people say, cause they're like, Oh, I can say it to her. She's obviously a straight woman. So I have a couple people that I do really feel are allies and they refer to me as queer. This is my friend, Andrea. I'm like, it feels really good when she says it, but it's like, if I don't know you, Mm-mm. No, I, I have that. too much. I think I have too much trauma and pain from how that word has been used in the past. But this is a good thing for allies. Ask before you use it. Yes. Right. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. You right. Re- oh, go ahead. <laughs> Alex and I are sharing a microphone today. That's why we're so smooth and slick in our question <laughs> asking. <laughs> well, I guess um, there's. I'm just gonna do a rocky little transition into are you so we talked about the magazine are you willing to talk more about personal mm-hmm. relationships and um speaking of sexuality like where you are with your life in that absolutely you want to go first sure all right Addison, give it to us. <laughs> so you mentioned you're married to a man yes okay so how long have you been married and and i because you also you told us you identify as bisexual pansexual so i want to know how does this work in a mar- in a marriage with a man Yes. So I have been married for over nine years now. It will be 10 years next April. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And we've been together off and on for 15 years, 15, 16. I'm only 32. So you can do the math. That's almost half of my life. Um, So, you know, we've kind of been together through it all through the thick and the thin. And I think, always when we were together in high school and college, I was actually just telling Maggie about this. We really were always poly. We were always polyamorous, but we didn't have the language around it. So it showed up in a way where we sometimes ended up hurting each other, not communicating well, not fully acknowledging that. Can you give me your words around what polyamorous means? Yes. So to me, polyamorous, um, I mean, it can definitely be a spectrum, but the ability to love, have romantic feelings for, have sexual feelings for more than one person at the same time um, in a way that involves open communication and everyone knowing what's going on. Um, So I think my husband and I, for a long time, were struggling to kind of figure out how that would show up in our lives. Like we were like, we're together, but we're not exclusive, but we're talking to these other people. Now we're not together. Now we are, now we're not, now we are. And really we kind of always were, but we're just dating other people. And that's very normalized in 2020. That wasn't very normalized in 2010. It was just like, y'all are a mess. Um, (laughs) So that was how we were seen for a minute. And then as I came to terms with my identity and the fact that, you know, I like women and we both kind of came to terms with maybe we're not 
always monogamous people. And that doesn't mean that we don't love each other or, you know, respect each other in the way that people in a good relationship should. Then we were able to sort of build off of that and start exploring being poly and dating other people. Um, And then that's actually when I met my girlfriend. And then she actually ended up coming just to hang out with me and also really hitting it off with my husband. And we all ended up dating and we've now all been dating for seven years. Is it just the three of you now, or do you, um, do you have relationships outside of the three of you? It's just the three of us now. Thank goodness. Cause I don't have time for anything else. That was that. That is, <laughs> gosh, that's quite a time commitment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but seven years, the three of you have been together. You and your husband have been married for 10. Yes. And so you said a key word to me though, about polyamory and that's everything is is open and honest. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I imagining that has to be a key to the success of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I mean, at this point where we are, since we're all just together, it doesn't really, you know, it kind of feels like we have that side of the communication figured out. But certainly when we were both dating um, and in additionally for a while, we did open up our relationship. So when the three of us were separately dating, which also was just too much of a time commitment with how much time I spend on work. Um, But for that, that takes, you know, a huge amount of communication and openness and honesty. So for people that are listening and they're like, wow, this is the first time I've ever heard the story of someone who is polyamorous, what is like, what are myths that are out there that you're like, oh, I want to debunk this or like, Mm -hmm. this is something I wish people knew or how to, um, because I don't think it's that uncommon for people to be in polyamorous relationships, but I think we don't have an opportunity to hear about it without a heavy dose of judgment coming from assholes. Yeah. So what would you want to debunk or what is something you're like, I wish people knew that this is what it really is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this because I, we just ran an interview that was kind of on the same lines. And one of the things they said in the interview, it's about a new polyamorous show is they showed it to one of their friends and their friend said, Oh, this is going to be juicy. This is a couple at the beginning of the end because it was a couple that was about to open their relationship. And the person was like, no, you completely missed the point. This is this really wonderful story about this couple's love. And so I think to me, that's the biggest thing. Like I am a pretty open person. So if you're just going to think that I'm, you know, promiscuous, want to sleep with a bunch of people. Okay. Whatever. I guess as a queer person, I'm kind of used to that judgment, Mm -hmm. but what hurts me is when it's like, oh, okay. So this is a sign that your relationship is failing. Um, because I mean, I definitely think there are folks out there who are at such a bad place in their relationship. They think what will fix it is to open things up. But for the most part, I think, you know, it should only be really done. in if you're in a healthy relationship and if the communication is already there and the foundation is already there and it should be seen as like this celebration, like, okay, we're taking things to the next level. It should be seen the way, you know, getting a pet or having a kid, not to call the third person a pet, but you know what I mean? Right. Like if this <laughs> would be, be seen as a positive yeah. milestone, not our relationship is on the brink and this is, you know, a last ditch effort to save it. Thank you for saying that. And I agree with you're saying like the thing about the pet and the baby where people are like, well, this will fix us. Yeah. I'm like, do you ever want to put yourself in a hot bed of a situation, get a fucking pet or have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) It is hard freaking work. Why would you do that? 
Well, thank you for sharing that. What else do you like tell when you were saying like in the beginning too, that you, you guys were, your word was, you guys were messy, but honestly, I don't know anybody who wasn't messy at that time of life in college. Yeah. (laughs) And I worry about people that weren't messy. So I'm like, Oh, messy's coming for you. It's, or you're just not, or you're just not living. Right. So how did you start to like, how did you go from we're messy to having the language of polyamory? A lot of communication, Um, a lot of communication just around, you know, our feelings and checking in and realizing that jealousy is still going to happen and it's still going to be real and we need to treat each other and things like that that come up in a really respectful way. Um, And, you know, in college, it's like, I mean, this is overarching, but no one is communicating. People are overly intoxicated. They're just hooking up. They're just, you know, kind of running around. And I, like you said, I think it's pretty common to be messy, even if your story is, oh, I was single, but you know, I was, you know, just sleeping with people, not because it made me feel affirmed, but because I was in a dark place or whatever. There's always some sort of like messy college story. So to me, I think it was just a little bit of growing up and communicating and talking and lots of long hours of, you know, bad conversations, crying, lots of hours of good conversations and excitement and planning and, you know, fantasizing and just the whole spectrum of just kind of like, okay, what do we want this to look like? How do we want people to show up in our lives? How do we want to show up for each other? What's going to change? What are our boundaries? What do we share? What do we not share? The, all the conversations you can think of essentially. My mind is like, I know, I don't, I don't mean to be quiet. I'm just so in awe and and thank you for just sharing all of that. It's um, I'm learning. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really grateful at your openness because I think that perception of um, promiscuity mm-hmm. um, or saving a marriage or all of these, I think that, that, that is what I see people talking about when it comes to polyamory. And what I'm gaining from you is hearing the level of commitment you and your husband must have to each other to say, no, we can do this. Cause you, I mean, have you, and you've been polyamorous the whole time, the whole pretty much. Yeah. I mean, pretty much definitely. So when we first started kind of talking about and exploring this, we also decided to move across the country because that's not crazy, but you know, we started talking about this and we were still living in Richmond and then we moved to Colorado. So there was definitely a portion of it where we were having these conversations, but we obviously weren't actively dating because we were like literally getting ready, packing up, selling stuff, then driving, then like living with roommates and just one bedroom together and like figuring out how to start our lives here and actually kick things off the ground, thinking about school and careers. Um, So, you know, it took a while before we really started dating in Colorado, but I also kind of think that was a good thing timing wise, because it sort of gave us this break where we were just the two of us together, figuring this out as we were going through this transition. I mean, my biggest question would be when you met your girlfriend and you guys have been together seven years, but like, how do you start to set those boundaries of like, I I guess the jealousy or like, how do you start building that trust? Because for the person that's coming in too, like you and your husband have been married. And so for her, is it like, I wonder what that experience was like for her, because would she feel like, well, I guess if you're, if she identifies as polyamorous too, she understands what this feels normal and right for her. 
Yeah, I definitely think I can speak for her and say it was difficult for her in the beginning. I 100% know if she was here, she would say that because we had a lot of conversations around how it is really hard to come into an established relationship. And it is really hard to have three. I mean, you know what it's like to have two-way communication around a relationship in good times and bad. Just imagine adding in another opinion. It's like that. And then if two of you are way more established, there is a lot of, you know, oh, I thought you just kind of knew this about us. Well, I didn't. And now I'm over here feeling awful. And there's a lot of that to work through, especially in the beginning of a relationship like that. So if we have somebody out there listening, that's like, okay, I think maybe I'm polyamorous, but I don't know. What is, what would you want them to hear from you as a person that's like, yeah, I figured, I figured this out. What's something like for someone out there that might be like, this is the first time they've heard this or they're resonating with something you're saying, they're trying to identify for themselves. What would you want them to know? I think the main thing is just that it's, it's a very beautiful thing and it can be a very wonderful way to kind of explore who you are, but also that it's not easy. You know, I think the other side of the myth is, you know, swingers parties and giant beds and opulence and everyone's just, you know, it's like an episode of Nip Tuck. It's an orgy, that whole situation. You know, I would also say it's that, not that's that. not it. Okay. Like if that's what you're in, if that's the element you're interested in, maybe you and your partner are just interested in being swingers, essentially going maybe to sex parties and never having anything go further than that. Um, if you feel like you can have sort of a genuine love connection with multiple people at the same time, and you know, it's not just about sex, that's just an element, then yeah, I would definitely say it's rewarding and it's worth exploring. Yeah. Cause it is very different. Thank you for, it, it, you know, spelling that out because being a person, being a couple that swings very different mm -hmm. than polyamory because for well, and you you can never say all it because everybody you may have polyamorous people that are at swing parties, but those parties Absolutely. are set up just more around um physical connection than emotional. Is that right? right? Absolutely. I, I hate making generalizations, but that's the way that's at least my yeah. understanding. No, I definitely think. I mean, of course, it's life. Life gets messy. I'm not saying people who set out to be swingers did never realize there was a deeper connection with someone and become poly or people who were poly weren't like, oh, then I'm kind of just in it for the sex. Let's just get into that side of it. But I think for the most part, you know, being poly is about wanting those connections, those relationships, wanting things with someone beside your spouse that isn't just sex. So dating and, you know, going on cute dates and cuddling and all of the other elements of relationships besides sex as well. It's like multiple layers of um, intimacy because like we think of intimacy as just being sexual, but it's lots of different exactly types. Okay. Yes. Do you have like one person that you're like, if this is going on with you, you're like, I'm going to him or I'm going to her, or you like equally would go to either one of them for something you needed? Oh, definitely. It depends. Um, yeah. I mean, I obviously still know my husband a little better, um, but then with me and my girlfriend, we kind of have that have more of a bond in some areas where it's like, okay, I always go to you to talk about this, or I know I can rely on you for this. Um, and just like anything else, you know, kind of learning both of their triggers as well. Like, well, this person has a hard time dealing with this. So if we have to, you know, like my husband does not like 
big, loud crowds of people. So I go shopping with my girlfriend, but my girlfriend can't go to shows and my husband and I are in a band together. So there's just a lot of like learning these little intricacies of like what stresses people out, what makes people happy and kind of walking those boundaries as well. Can I, can I ask you about, um, I guess a label kind of question. So you said, so you have your husband and then, you know, girlfriend, like, and you've been, have you ever talked about, um, I don't even know what question I'm asking. Kind of like, would, would girlfriend ever change to wife, wife, even though like, how does that? Yeah. 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 We've definitely talked about that. Um, and we're actually, so my husband and I are having our big, um, 10 year, we're gonna, we didn't ever have a wedding. We just went down to the courthouse. We were very poor and like, just had moved here and we're like, let's do this. Um, so our plan is to have a big 10 year celebration next this coming April um, to kind of, you know, invite friends, invite family, be like, okay, this is it. Like we're having a wedding, whatever you want to call it, a party. Mm-hmm. And so part of us has been like, should we make this a celebration for all three? And then there's the conversation of like, only my family is liberal. Both of their families are not. So like what that looks like. And I think surprise, that's big. That's probably a big hurdle. And of course the other hurdle is like, of course, society. Um, It would, I would love, you know, the idea of having some sort of ceremony and then sort of changing how we refer to each other. But I feel like even as society advances in other ways, there's no legal three-way marriage. There's no, nothing like that. There's at this point, like she can't even be on our insurance. Cause they're like, you're not related. Like there are actually a lot more hurdles to any kind of relationship like that than you would think. Do all three of you live together? We do. Yes. Okay. So when you want to like get away from everybody, do you have like your own space in the house where you're like, this is my space? Yes. Actually, the only reason things were very tough between us when we lived in like literally a one bedroom, like just a little above a studio kind of situation. Um, We are lucky enough to have a pretty decent sized house and it almost has its own apartment downstairs. There's just one bathroom and kitchen upstairs. Um, so the downstairs is like, we can go there to play music and my husband hangs out down there a lot and having kind of like the two levels to our house and all these rooms is super helpful because yeah, otherwise we would get stir crazy. And I think everybody needs space at some point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. What else do you want to know? You're really great about answering (laughs) all these questions. I'm really grateful that you're open about it. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. No problem. All right. Maggie. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you, I was going to say, Maggie, we're going to turn the hot seat over to you. Yes, <laughs> sure. So Maggie, I, I know you mentioned you are married to a man. Mm-hmm. So do you want to walk us through, you, are you willing to walk us through the, the details as well? Sure. Okay. <laughs> and I know how much, I, I really would love to hear more about how you decided to walk away from religion or from your religion at the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell me everything you're willing to tell me. Okay. Gosh. Um, So I'll start in the middle. Um, So my husband that I'm married to now, um, he and I dated in junior high and high school. So seventh grade, my seventh grade year, and then my junior year, um, for just a little bit and he had already graduated. So, um, so we already knew each other in the past and he found me on Facebook about 
13 years ago. And we started out as friends and um, just over time and talking and um, he got out of his relationship. I got out of my relationship when we started talking, well, could we long distance date? Cause I was in Kansas city at the time and he was in Colorado. And, um, and so we tried it and, you know, thanks to Skype and <laughs> um, lots of, of phone calls, um, we, we made it we went on a road trip together, which told me how compatible we were. And, um, and so, you know, we fell in love all over again and in a different adult way. Um, and I had worked through quite a bit of relationship therapy by then, but not all of it. So, um, yeah, we had some serious insecurities that I had to work through and, um, he's been supportive through all of that. Um, I tried to move out here and that didn't work. So he moved out there for a little while and that's where we got married also in front of a judge, um, with the intention to have a reception back in Colorado, but that never happens or a honeymoon. Um, but then finally, when, um, after my mom passed away and I was able to sell her trailer house, I was finally had the money to move back out here. So we did that and, um, he's been, we've been through it, but he's, he's been through it as I've come to know myself and find out how queer I am and all of that. And that has been very challenging. Um, we were having quite a bit of problems when we grew apart. Um, he was very distracted with his stuff and I just took that and went inside myself. I, I think kind of an abandonment, um, response. And so I was very much involved with my friends, with my work, with the events, with all the queer stuff and not sharing with him. And so, so when you say like all the queer stuff, meaning you're on this journey right now of yes. like, suddenly you're like, Oh, there's a reason I've always been around queer people. Yeah. Right. And yes. so you're unpacking this, but you, you weren't sharing it with him. Right. Okay. And also just having a lot of, um, trauma responses from past relationships. So there was a huge package there that was culminating into, literally a marriage ending. And, um, I started going to therapy with that in mind. Like I really want to separate. I don't know if I really want to get a divorce again, like third time, like divorce is horrible. And this is where I'm at. And this is where he's at. We did a little bit of couples counseling, but we had a really bad couples counselor. So <laughs> it helped him, but not me. And, um, and then by continuing with that and also continuing to unpack all of my relationship trauma on top of my queerness, we were able to come back together and start to really talk about these deep issues. Um, I can, I, <laughs> I think I actually came out to him as pansexual when we had been drinking too much on one of our um, queer retreats that we used to take at, oh, at, 
Well, a queer retreated out front, not a queer retreat with you and your husband. Right. Okay. But he was with us. <laughs> he was with you on yeah. the queer retreat. Okay. So, and uh, yeah, I had had too much to drink and I started going on and on to everybody about what pansexuality means and why I felt that way. <laughs> People were like, okay, great. <laughs> um, calm it down. Thanks. And so, um, so he had to kind of unpack that. And then, you know, when when you're relatively a straight person, even though you accept the community, you don't know a lot about the community. There was a lot of education to go on there. What was something like he didn't know? Uh, really all of it. Okay. okay. So like, I love that your podcast has brought out that your sexual orientation doesn't depend on who you've been with. It's who you're attracted to. Cause I get so many straight people that think, Oh, well, well if you haven't slept with, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that was one of them. You can be <laughs> queer as fuck and never have had sex. Right. Yeah. It, right. It, the things that we do don't determine our queerness. It's who we are on the inside that determines it. Not who you do things with and what party parts you do them with. <laughs> no, people don't get that shit. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> Um, that um, I had to really work with him to help him understand drag queens and then trans people and the difference. And um, there was a time when he really wasn't even comfortable around drag queens because he just didn't understand it. And, and then over time, like he has become the biggest, fiercest ally. I mean, he will fight a person. He will be as flamboyant as he can be to make, <laughs> make his point. Like he just, he loves the community now and he understands so much more about it. But I mean, to truthfully, I didn't understand uh, hardly anything about it. I thought I knew some stuff, but when I started at out front and over the years, like I've learned so much and there's always so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and it's, and that's kind of one of the things is that I got pregnant when I was 17 mm -hmm. and um, probably at right at the time when I was just starting to maybe recognize something about myself. And now mm -hmm. I've got to decide if I'm going to keep this baby. Mm -hmm. And then I make the mistake of marrying the father. Mm -hmm. And then I went through a very traumatic year and a half, almost two years married to him and he moved me out to Kansas where I knew nobody and he was a narcissist. Oh, they love to isolate, don't they? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So pregnant, 17, oh, Maggie. living with a narcissist, no phone, couldn't afford a phone, only one car, which he had most of the time. Like, I mean, it was bad. It was real bad and so bad that his dad and stepmom helped me get out of the marriage. And, um, and by then <laughs> I had two of his kids because I was a very fertile person and birth control didn't work for me. Just so you know, always use two forms. And even then it's not foolproof, but anyway, <laughs> um, and my sister is the same way. So, so I actually divorced him while or started divorce proceedings while I was pregnant with the second child. Mm -hmm. And so then I found myself in a teeny tiny town um, called Nucla, Colorado, uh, where my sister lived. 
am a single mother divorced at 19 with two kids, with two kids, two little babies. They were 18 months apart and finally moved into my house. The ex tried to get back with me for a little while. Back then there's like no information about narcissism Mm -hmm. and victims of narcissism. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So (laughs) Alex knows this. I know Alex posts a lot about narcissism. I would have, I would have, um, benefited from understanding the, it very much. I mean, anyway, we back to you. (laughs) Me too. Yes. And I did have a therapist, um, because I started having panic attacks and, um, and didn't even know what that was. I thought I was losing my mind. And, um, and he did help me with the panic attack part. Um, the doctor did say, this is a trauma response. Let's go to the therapist. I only saw the therapist once I was very poor. And, um, and so I dealt with, with that, but didn't really deal with it very well. Um, and (laughs) when I got, I moved to Montrose and by then I had some friends and I had unpacked some of this stuff, but I was at that point, like, okay, I am so through with men. I'm going to be a lesbian. (laughs) And I think my friends thought that I was just saying that to be funny, but I really was looking for someone (laughs) and I wasn't, but you don't get out much when you're a single parent. So really it was when I went to the bar a couple of times or I was at the grocery store, but I never, there was no one to be found. There was not, and I didn't even know where to start. Didn't know who to talk, like didn't have anyone to talk to. And so finally, after about a year or a little more, I decided, okay, fine. I'm just going to date again. And so I started dating men again. And then I had turned to religion to kind of try and help with all these things. And that's a big mistake. Um, because some of them were really crazy. Were you raised with religion? No, not really. My mother was Luth- raised Lutheran and really loved her church, but we never really found one that she liked while I was growing up. So I went to churches with friends sometimes, but I didn't. <laughs> and that was also not a good experience. Um, I went to a Catholic church once and I went to the Bible school and they were pounding nails in this board and saying that every time you sin, this is a nail in the board. And they literally used the example of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Well, my friends who took me knew that I had tried my parents' beer before. So all of a sudden I am like, got those nails and man, those Catholics me about it. Catholics, man, they are no freaking joke. No matter what, it's <laughs> scary. Okay. Yes, I'm having flashbacks. I, we didn't have the nail in the wood, but I did have, um, you know, there was a lot of things that were said to me that I'm like, I don't understand this. I did have a nun one time. My sister will remember this if she listens. Her name was Sister Irene. That woman was scary. And I remember one time I wasn't paying attention and she whipped me out of the desk. And I, I mean, I was, I was a second grader. And I was whipped out of the desk in front of the whole class. And I was like, holy shit. But yeah, anyway, I get the the nail. Like we just, they love to make you feel guilt and shame, mm-hmm. guilt and shame, guilt and shame, stay in line. Yeah. That's how they can control you. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the Assembly of God um, Church very much believes in the gifts of the Spirit, mm -hmm. which are like talking in tongues and um, interpreting what that is and uh, healing and all kinds of things. So um, I think I went to I went to a sermon about Jesus' sacrifice and what that meant, and that touched me. And so mm. I accepted him and became born again and all that stuff. And that was all kind of great and helpful. But then when I would have panic attacks or something like that, they would act like that was some demons or spiritual forces trying to fight me because I'm trying to be good. And well, that's not going to help my anxiety. Thank you. That <laughs> I'm fighting a demon. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll take another Xanax. So like, let's abuse you with more abuse. Exactly. And so when I started studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, it was actually appealing to me because it was less emotional and more logical. Now we're looking at the scriptures and we're looking at, you know, what this means and some of the backstory and they know history about this and da, 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 da. So I'm very book smart. So <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. And I, even when I was at the assembly of God church and we, I went to a, a revelation class, like I was super fascinated by the prophecies and how the different scriptures like connect to each other and like all that stuff was fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, and so the witnesses did that too. And even more so of a deep dive. So I'm really like, I'm totally sure that's what appealed to me about them. And then they also seemed very accepting and they are until you become one. And so, <laughs> and then, um, and so I was, baptized in, um, as a witness in Kansas city. So we had moved, just moved there. Um, but I had been recommended for baptism by the people that I had been going to services with and all of that. And so I spent 15 to 20 years in that religion. Um, still kind of like explaining away certain things like, like you can't, you can't judge anyone because we're literally all sinners. Mm -hmm. So, um, which I totally believed, totally believed. And at the same time, like I said before, when someone asked me, what if your son came out gay, wouldn't they disfellowship him? And I'm like, once he's baptized, yes. And then I'm like, oh. <laughs> so that feels like, judgment yes <laughs> very much so so i'm sure that this then becomes like for you somebody very logical as you're saying and you're following all these teachings and you're like because i remember doing the book of revelations too and there's some type of like i don't know if you're a person that likes answers right and you're like oh okay i understand this but now you're giving a healthy dose of hypocrisy here we don't judge unless you do this, which is queerness. And then we judge the fuck out of you and kick you out. Well, it's, it's the act. So you could be gay. You just can't act on it. Cause but that's also, not well. fun. <laughs> that's not fun at all. But also you have to like, that's it's, it, it's once you become one of them that you have to adhere to Jehovah's rules 
and standards, or you become a cancer to the congregation and now you're out. A cancer to the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. That's some, that's a heavy statement. I need my water. Yeah. Take take your water. So I, so again, you could say I'm queer, but if you acted on it, that's the line that it crosses. Yeah. Any kind of sexual immorality. So that would include sex outside of marriage. Does it include sex? If not for the purposes of procreation? No. No. So you can, you can have all the straight sex that you want. In fact, you're supposed to, whether you want to or not. So, oh, wow. So like, and this is fascinating to me because in Catholics, they're usually like, you know, no sex is for the purposes of procreation, mm-hmm. but this is no, no, no. Have all the sex. You're supposed to have all the sex, but only if it's this kind of sex, mm-hmm. if it's anything out kind of that outside of that, whatever they determine to be. So the husband and the wife to be very specific yes, are allowed to and are supposed to have sex, but also the woman's supposed to be submissive to the man. And so they're not even supposed to turn him down unless you're sick or there's extenuating circumstances. They go that deep. So if I said, honey, I have, I'm so literal. I'm sorry. So if I'm like, honey, I have a headache tonight doesn't cut it. I'm supposed to be submissive and have sex. I think it's a headache would suffice, but you can't lie about it. So oh, shit, I'm screwed. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> so unpacking that. So here's, here's part of, of what's bothering me about the religion, but also how keeping me suppressing who I am. Um, and I was telling Addison, for the longest time in my life, I truly believed that the porn that my husbands had watched started to turn me gay, turn me gay because, (laughs) because when I would watch them, um, I remember watching it with my first husband, like as an example, and really being a lot more interested in the woman and Later on, because of some of these religious beliefs that came through me, I thought that porn was so evil and sexualized women so much that it was turning me gay. And I was in complete denial that I actually was way more attracted to the woman than the man in a lot of those scenarios. And so that was one of the things I had to unpack in therapy Um, that was one of the things I had to unpack when I started out front, like, oh yeah, I did used to think that, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me. So, so when I would, um, I'll just give a specific example. So my second marriage, I've got the two kids. I've adopted his daughter, um, still a Jehovah's witness, um, but starting to come out of that marriage is terrible. And I met a woman at work that I was really attracted to. And she was also in a situation, I think a relationship or whatever. So we never talked about it, but we definitely like flirted and like tried to find ways that we could run into each other, hang out together. And I remember feeling like I can't do anything with this because I'm married. Mm. And, um, 
And I never had the courage to say anything to her about it. And she never said anything about it to me, but there are little instances like that, that happened throughout my lifetime um, that really should have been a clue. But then the other thing that I had to unpack was I had men who cheated on me and, um, and I had women even from junior high on girls who had betrayed me in one way or another and tried to sleep with my boyfriends behind my back, sleep with my mm-hmm. husband's behind my back. And so I had a lot of distrust mm-hmm. towards women. And that was another reason why I was having a hard time accepting that about myself. Um, and so those are some other things that I unpacked. And then, and then I have to talk to my husband now mm-hmm. about all of this stuff that I'm unpacking. And um, I got disfellowshipped when I was separated from my second husband. What does disfellowship mean? It means the congregation will have absolutely nothing to do with me. They so won't talk like, to me. It's like a shunning. Yes. Okay. And yet I'm still expected to go to the congregation meetings and sing the songs and not talk to anybody or be talked to. Would they even look at you? Sometimes. And that's so, that's so traumatic. There are a few people that would talk to me anyway, even though that's not the rule. Oh, that's, that's like narcissism, like, like the stonewalling. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it was really rough. I went through that. I went through divorce and bankruptcy. My kids were teenagers. My daughter went to live with um, her father, which I knew was going to be a disaster. And it was, and yeah, so I went through a huge turmoil, um, through that before I even started talking to Dana, um, my mother died. Um, my father died like years before that. So that was, she was my last parent. Um, she was an alcoholic, so there's a whole lot of relationship trauma there. And, um, so <laughs> I've gone through a lot of counseling and uh, therapy over through my life, but probably the most intense over the last several years um, since I've been at out front, but like it all started with that decision to be authentic and to get to know myself. And it's been intense and it's been hard, but it's been so worth it. And um, for a long time, my oldest son wouldn't talk to me because he became a witness again, like he was disfellowship for a while by choice. And then he came back to the congregation, which was okay. Like you do you, but then wouldn't have much to do with me after I moved here and started at the queer magazine. We haven't talked about that yet, but (laughs) I think a lot of it was also um, his wife is a a narcissist. So there was some stuff going on there too with the isolation and, and not, (laughs) not having anything to do with me. So it's, it's, there's a lot there, but bottom line, um, when I finally figured out, Hey, I have been attracted to all these different types of people, um, throughout different periods of my life. And that's, you know, that's basically my pansexuality, and then understanding more and more about non-binary spaces. And I'm very thankful that my dad was never one to gender conform. 
he always made sure I had girl toys and boy toys and didn't care that I liked wearing boy clothes and girl clothes and, um, and taught me that I could be anything I wanted to be any career I wanted. And so like all of these things have come to fruition, but just in the last several years, and it's a lot, but it's, I love the community so much and I love myself so much now and understand and accept so much that I never understand it or accept it for the first 40 years of my life. And it's just an incredible journey. You're a thriver. Thriver. <laughs> Thank you. I, f- I feel what you're saying so deeply that there, I think where I just really resonate with your story is I felt so conditioned for so long that I couldn't even find myself mm-hmm. and people that are able to do that, right. To say, I got all this for lack of a better word, shit mm-hmm. to buck everybody's expectations of you. And to say, I, only this matters only what matters in here, who I am. And the beauty that comes after that, like somebody was saying to me the other day, they're like, you're so brave. And I'm like, am I brave or do I just not need you to validate me? I think it's that I just don't need your validation. I validated myself. So any of this shit out here, it doesn't really matter to me because that feeling that I think you have too, Mm -hmm. nobody can take that from you. Right. Yeah. If you don't love me for who I am, then you don't love me. And I'm all right with that. Yep. But that can be hard when it's a family member, especially close one. It was really hard for me to deal with the rejection of my son, who incidentally walked into my life recently and is like really trying to rebuild that relationship. So I'm really happy about that. Kind of cautious, but very happy. But like there were years where he didn't have much to do with me. I found out that he got married on social media. Oh, Maggie, I'm sorry. That was rough. That was really rough. And he's my firstborn, so. Well, and they're always your baby. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, it's its a pain that you have to learn to live with, but it also helps me understand a little bit more. Um, there are a lot of trans people whose kids have rejected them once they transitioned or decided to. And I've known a couple of them and I, I really am like, oh God, yeah, I know it hurts. And I'm very thankful that the two that I know, um, their kids have finally come around and that's good. And I'm glad that mine seems to have like come around too, but, um, yeah, I've got two grandkids that I haven't met yet. So I'm really anxious and hopeful that that'll happen soon. So tell us where, where is marriage now? Where are you guys today? So today, um, Dana is aware that I would really like to explore, um, at least a sexual relationship with a woman. It could be, and it might, might not just be a woman, but right now that's the only thing that he's comfortable with. Um, and he understands that that means he would not be part of that experience. Um, But it's something that I had wanted to happen more than a few times in my life. And 
it didn't. And so he understands that that is something that I would like to explore. Um, and so I, but I think there's also still a little bit of a fear there as much as I love him. I think he, there's a fear there that I could fall in love with someone else <laughs> and maybe decide to leave. And I understand that. And I can't completely guarantee that that couldn't happen. But at the same time, like, I do love him a lot and we've been through a lot. And I think that the people that show up for me and that are there for me and that really love me for who I am, and especially all of the changes and stuff that I've been through to have him stand by me through all of that, like that really counts in my heart and soul. So it would take a lot to take me away from that now. There was a time when I was like really fed up with everything. But now that I've worked through my part in our failed marriage or failing marriage, and he's worked through his part and we've come together and I actually communicate now instead of stuffing everything down. <laughs> um, I, I feel like it would take a lot to take me away from him, but I definitely also know that there's this side to me that has not explored anything other than a relationship or a sexual relationship with a man. And um, I, I just, I have to see what that is. I have to, to walk up to the door and knock on it. Yeah. I just, I don't know how that's going to happen. <laughs> I just am open to the universe helping me figure that out. I mean, look at everything that's happened since I opened myself to the universe in the first place. So, yeah. I um, thank you for sharing all that. I guess my one question just on that last part is, you know, understanding how people, like I was saying before, like for me, like a lot of attraction is not necessarily body parts, but it's between ears. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, um, I'm, I've, I'm not, and there's no, please understand there's no judgment in this at all, because I am very much like you do you just don't expect me to do what feels right for you. Right. Right. Um, casual sex is not something that ever felt right for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably because of the thing between the ears, right. I have to have that to feel attraction, do you feel like you could potentially just have a sexual relationship like, and just for it to be that experience that you could have and then leave there and then continue to have the emotional intimacy and physical intimacy with your husband? I have had a casual sexual relationship in the past. Um, I'm definitely more on the demisexual side, meaning that I have to have a connection with a person to feel sexual attraction, but that connection can be a friendship and just caring about each other. Mm -hmm. So yes, I could, I could have that. Mm -hmm. I really hope you figure it out. Me too. I hope you guys figured it because I would, I feel really is the work that you and your husband have put in. And how much love there's there is there, mm -hmm. and I I am love is love and love conquers everything to me. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that it works out the way for you as the universe opens that it's supposed to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What you got, babe? I'm just swimming and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was wonderful. Wonderful to hear your stories. Okay. Thank you. Anything 
that you would want someone listening to your story, maybe somebody who's been either in a narcissistic relationship, um, needing to step away from a religious institution on a path of discovery that you went on? Is there anything you would want a listener out there that might be experiencing one of those things to know? The best thing you can do, and this is true really for any situation in your life, but especially true if you've had that kind of abuse and control in your life, is to really learn to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know it's it's not an easy journey. I know it takes practice and it can feel really wrong at times, but the more you work on that and really loving and accepting yourself, just like you would your best friend or your most intimate lover, that kind of self-love will get you. Like it'll produce so much healing that I can't even describe it. I can't even explain it. It's just such a big healing to do that for yourself. I couldn't agree more. Um, I have to give you guys the most sincere thank you because we've talked about this on this podcast that when you are talking into a microphone and you don't know where that story is going to go, it is a huge lesson in vulnerability because you're just opening your heart and your experiences in your world but it's so healing to people on the other side. Mm-hmm. So thank you. And, you know, I talk about the vulnerability bubble all the time. Like mm-hmm. tomorrow it's going to be running through my head that I talked about penises on here. <laughs> it, it is, I just know it is, but I'm just, I'm so, so grateful to have the opportunity to just listen and learn and share. And I know that this podcast goes to people and they find it healing because they hear their story and they don't feel so alone. It's the podcast I wish I had when I was a kid, right? Absolutely. And that's um, one of the reasons why I emailed you guys, because I started listening and it felt so good to hear from two other people who came out late in life, who have kids. Um, And there's just, there's so much that you guys share so vulnerably. And one of my daily affirmations is I'm strong enough to be vulnerable So I really feel like it's easy to open up to you because you guys have opened up so much. I'm sorry. I hope you don't hate the term you guys. No, I'm I'm totally (laughs) generally, but what popped in my head when you said that is that's something I've learned from Alex. I did not like, Oh my God, I was a nightmare. I was a nightmare. Uh, I was a shove everything down. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely saw vulner- vulnerability as a weakness. Mm-hmm. I had it really messed up in my head, really t- twisted up in my head. Me too. And, um, you know, I met Alex how, six years ago and, um, we had a, you know, we were friends for a while, but one of the things I loved about Alex and still do is that I will logistic myself out of anything. I will be like, no, 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 we're going to go from A to B to C and we don't have to feel anything. We don't have to feel anything. We just keep going. And Alex will look at me and be like, you got, how do you feel? Tell me what the feeling is. And for a long time, I could not, I was so concerned with keeping myself inside because I thought that was safer. Mm -hmm. And then you meet someone and I'm like, I've lost all ability to do that is, is really what happened to me. And then Alex very graciously has held my hand through it because I didn't know how that's you. You're, you're a feelings badass. Yeah. Well, part of my journey has been to, um, 
relearn how to feel. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I put myself back in therapy, like six, well, no, I don't know, five years ago, whatever it was, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, when the therapist was like, how do you feel? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, like fine, I think. <laughs> I, and, 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 and the, and the, but the, but we worked through it and it was like, the flag was, I couldn't name. And I knew I felt a lot and that part I, I wasn't denying, but I think also being in a, a narcissistically abusive relationship where they weaponize your feelings mm-hmm. against you, I would have a feeling and then share it and then it would just be twisted. And so then actually you end up eating your own words and being like, well, maybe I don't feel that way. Well, maybe I'm not who I say I am. And so on like it's taken a lot of work to like, like I do actually have a lot of words. I just, they feel they're, they get, you know, in, in the healing process, the um, loosening of the concrete <laughs> that anyway, so that was, I don't know if that was a tangent or not, but, mm-hmm. but that I felt like I've always been full of this like electric colors and swirls and feelings. And I, and, and I, there's so much freedom in being able to name it. I think there's power in it. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, you know, I'm messy as fuck. We're, we, we talk about that all the time, but, but being able to, you know, and being able to just say, how do I feel right now? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Powerful. I love messy as fuck people though. Okay. But that to me is you're living. If you're messy as fuck, you are probably living on some, and it's the people that are, you know, Oh, what did you say? The Stepford wives? Mm -hmm. That drives me insane. And I think probably because I was one for a while and now I've had like this awful, I'm like, no, not that. Yeah. <laughs> well, do, do me one thing before we, before we wrap this, how can people get your magazine? We have um, on our, on our website, upfrontmagazine.com, you can read it digitally or you can pick it up at distribution points. And there is on the menu, a distribution. So you can look up where, you know, your um, zip code and search what places are closest to you. And then if there's not a place close enough to you, or you don't feel like trying to go to those places, you can subscribe to our magazine to have it sent to your door. And it's $39.97, I think, a year. And that- We need to subscribe to that. That covers the postage and the poly bagging so that it ends up really nice in your mailbox. Well, and I remember you telling me, Addison, that part of one of your decisions was to make it the thicker paper and it's, it's uh, twice a month, once a month, once a month, once a month, but it's, but it's a beautiful magazine. Thank you. I'm so glad y'all came in. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask our listeners too. If you have burning questions, because I wasn't invasive enough to ask all of them and you might have more, you can email us at how to be queer podcast. Um, and we will, uh, if it's okay with you guys, we'll either send the questions or we'll welcome you back to answer more. Okay. Um, so thank you both very much. And remember it's how to be queer podcast at gmail.com. Oh my God. I actually knew one of our things. Okay. You tell them the rest of this stuff. Cause I don't remember any of that stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, I was just say, I, I pick up my copy at metamorphosis fitness. Yes. That's where I, that's where I get mine. Um, so go check us out on balls of magic. We I'm, we're doing, we're, we're expanding a little bit and I, and I will have, I'll have a list of things to share on the next episode, but you can find us on, um, 
Instagram and Facebook. You all have Instagram and Facebooks. So go check out Outfront Magazine on Instagram and Facebook as well. Youth scene, Instagram, Facebook. <laughs> Did you have other housekeeping stuff to tell people or am I making that up? Well, no, 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 you're not making it up. I think I just, um, speaking of messy as fuck, I think I just need to write a, a, a list because um, there are a lot of cool things. We have merch coming, um, merchandise. There's there's lots of cool stuff coming. So yes, I just need to write it down and I'll, we'll have details soon. And I love our logo. So I'm so happy you're putting it on things. Thanks, Andrea. Okay, that's it for us this week. We'll be back soon. Actually, Alex and I are going on vacation. We won't be back soon. See you soon. Well, I'm in like two weeks. I don't know. We're, love you, bye. No. Love you, bye. We're super, super, super highly produced. Okay. Bye, y'all. Bye.